as we turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, around verse 9, 10. I'm planning on finishing up the book of uh, 1 Peter in the next two or three months. <laughs> this actually is supposed to be the, uh, the last night of 1 Peter. And I want to tell you, it has been a blessing. It's um, a book that uh, we can all identify with. And it started off with all the blessings, and the inheritance, and all the grace that God has given us. <clears throat> and then we see how um, not only what a future that we have guaranteed for us, we have it uh, an inheritance even now in a sense, but there's something that we uh, really look to, but at the same time how He gives us the strength, the grace to be able to live in the times that we live in. And so, uh, a book that is as relevant as any book could possibly be here in the year 2013. The God of all grace. He is sufficient, isn't He? So, a little little section where we're at tonight uh, is just packed and um, it could be stretched out further, but when you think that uh, the text where we have been and uh, we're attacked by the enemies, uh, at the same time while we're being attacked, we're being perfected by God. Well, that is something. And so it's personal in that God is in it. And He's doing it. It's a marvelous thought. And so He's uh, he's a God that's intimately involved in, in our lives. And whether it be uh, our suffering, our rejoicing, whatever we're going through, wherever we're at, He is intimately with us. And uh, He certainly cares as we cast all our cares and our anxieties on Him, right? Well, let's, let's go to this great God. Father, You are a glorious God. And it is truly all about You. Help us to put the things aside that deals with our, our own selves, our own thoughts, even as important as they may be. You are the important one. And uh, this time that uh, we share together in Your Word, that uh, we would lift You up higher in our thoughts and our ideas, our perceptions of who You are. Expand our thinking on how great you are, how great your grace is, and the design that you have. It's just um, perfect in the sense that it's going to come out in the way that you want it. And exactly. And we praise you for that. Help us to, uh, as you live in us by the Holy Spirit, to understand this word tonight and help us to, uh, to glorify you. In your Son's name, amen. Well, God has a design. God is in all of this, all of uh, all the things that we go through, and uh, regardless of what it is, and we've, we've seen that we have a battle against Satan. And, of course, he's been talking about persecution with them. And, of course, uh, the enemy definitely uses all that. And back at the time of... Uh, Peter, and of course, you have to remember, Peter wrote this book, and uh, I don't know how many years it was, but after this, some time later, he too was persecuted, wasn't he? And probably uh, could have been in Rome, sounds like it. And um, uh, he went through the very things that um, he wrote about as the Holy Spirit and inspired him. Of course, we know that tradition says that he was crucified upside down. And that's that's Peter. So what a what a gift we have in just um, opening up God's word and then looking at this apostle who tagged around with him for three three and a half years and uh, then got inspired by the Holy Spirit to write such a book. Very word of God. Well, the first part is dealing with God's design, and the first part of the first part is something that we've been dealing with, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But it has to be brought forth because in verse 9 it says, But resist him, firm in your faith, and that's where we were at last week, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. You're not alone. 
God has all of His people spread out all over the world. The Christian, Christian community goes through different things. And uh, one of them is that, of course, as Peter mentions here, uh, it wouldn't be my choice. My own choice would not like to talk about suffering. But I have no choice. I have to be able to um, go where the text is. And I realize that uh, it, it is a, a good thing, ultimately. It's a way of life. Uh, part uh, part of our lives anyway. God is accomplishing His holy, perfect work in us. And you look at the goal. Look at the goal. Look where this is all heading. Look where this is taking us, right? Uh, and, and so what He says is that, listen, all of you that I'm writing to, and even to us today here, uh, you are not alone. Christians go through these things. You're not alone. Everybody's going through it. You're experiencing maybe suffering from the roaring lion who seeks someone to devour. And yet at the same time, we get encouraged knowing that uh, we have other brothers and sisters that are fighting the same fight, fighting the same kind of battle. And the, and the prospect of glory, the, uh, the ultimate of all of this is where it's leading to, is eternal. Suffering is very temporal very, very short time compared to eternity. You can't even compare time with eternity anyway, can you? So that's always good to uh, remember that it's so temporal. It's going to pass away. Once, Once it does, once it passes away totally, we will never, ever deal with suffering again for the rest of eternity. Amen. That's right. Well, we can say that, can't we? Over and over and over again. So, Christianity is not a negative type teaching, it's very positive, even in the sense of uh, our, our daily lives. And, and there is something good and joy, enjoyable about that. matter of fact, most of the time, I, I just enjoy life. I enjoy the, being able to breathe and, and live and walk and, and uh, then get together with God's people and fellowship and sing and play music and, and uh, just be with God's people glorifying Him. You know, that's, a, oh, that's just a great thing to do. But there's something even better. Hard to imagine. Even if somebody just suffered all their days, from the time they were born to the time they die, if they suffered all of that, and I can't imagine that. I'm sure there have been some. But it would still be nothing. And how can I say that? Compared to eternity. <laughs> you know, but I, you know, none of us, I don't think, have suffered from day one. Well, we sure have a lot of physical ailments and a lot of other things that everybody deals with, but it hasn't been every day for all of our lives probably. Uh, when, you find <clears throat> when you find yourselves in trouble, you find yourselves being tested or you find yourselves being pulled apart, maybe uh, you might be tested to the point of where you start saying, I'm beginning to wonder, where's the grace of God here? You know, that'd be easy to say, but but we know it's always there. But sometimes, you know, we can get so weak. And you know what Peter's saying? That is the grace of God, because He gave that to you ultimately. Ultimately, He did, as as you see here. It's God's will. He's been Peter's been pointing that out. If I said that to people that didn't understand what we're talking about, they'd probably think I am really backwards. I'm crazy. I mean, it doesn't sound right. To, to the human flesh, it can't fathom that. But it, it says that this is God's will. God is doing what? Preparing you for glory. And He's removing the dross because after He removes the dross, you have what's pure. He's purifying us. And that's what He's doing in the Christian life. He keeps on purifying us. Yeah. What's left? <laughs> what's left? Well, it's what's true, right? It's what is, is of God. Jesus, He was here. He was acquainted with grief. Jesus was without sin, but not without sorrow, right? So, He knows. And of course, Peter's already talked about that. If we deny suffering, which some groups of so-called Christians do, say that that is not meant for Christians at all, we'd miss the whole point. I don't know how you could even read the book of Peter and say that. Uh, and somebody has said, I think it's Alistair Begg that said, more progress is made through the suffering process than laughter. 
that kind of hurt. <laughs> More progress is made through that than laughter. The things that we would run away from are the things that can make us. Hmm. Failure, broken hearts, he's fashioning, doing his grand design. They're all the failures, all the heartaches, everything. Um, it's been said that um, if you have all sun and no rain, you have Arizona. And you have all rain and no sun. Well, those people down south, Missouri, down around uh, uh, Rolla or uh, was it Fort Leonard Wood, uh, Waynesville, I'm sure they're probably thinking that now. <laughs> you know, you have that's, that's what you have, all rain and no sun. We need a balance, don't we? And uh, God is a God of balance. God's purpose, ultimate purpose, is going to be realized. It's in the future. There's some pain in the present. Uh, but we can know that His His glory can be counted on because that's where His purpose is, is being aimed at. So I'm, I'm going over this just trying to show here's the balance. There's an eternal reward. And uh, matter of fact, if that's not balance with suffering. It goes way beyond what we can even measure. But it's, uh, it's brought on by God. And what uh, what cause of the suffering? I, I thought we were talking about Satan and his attacks. And now we're saying that, well, well God does it. Well, yeah, well, Satan does it. Well, well, God does it. Well, it's both. The answer is, is, is both, as uh, John Piper was saying, and he mentioned uh, the story of Job. And of course, you remember Job. Uh, of course, God and uh, the conversation he had uh, with Satan. Uh, we looked at last week, Paul, with his thorn in the flesh, that was what? It was given to him by God to humble him. But then it's also called a messenger of Satan. So there you have God doing it, but Satan doing it. And God is sovereign, sovereign over everything, right? Over all things. So there's there's a sovereign design as He uses Satan in, in the plan. And uh, we know that Satan's plan is destructive. He wants to destroy. God's going to do something else with His people though. And that's constructive and purifying. And so the uh, devil is wanting to devour, but God is going to give us uh, power. He's, he's the one that's purifying us, preparing us for glory. So, if we could only understand that when we go through some of the battles that we have, whether it be spiritual warfare or whatever it is that comes on us, if we could just kind of bring that thought up a little bit further rather than suppressing it, it would really make it easier or, in a sense, make a lot more sense when we go through these things. Do you see how valuable this is? This is real stuff, isn't it? As Peter is uh, bringing it forth here and is, and is hit with it. I think people would probably appreciate the things that we go through more if they would understand. But that's a hard concept. It's it's hard all the way till the, the day we die. <laughs> you know, we uh, sometimes it's hard to for that to come up to the top. But that's what it is. He wants to strengthen you, establish you. Look at, uh, look at verse 10. After you have suffered for a little while, while the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Wow. You know what? He just said something that is really amazing. That is eternal security if I ever saw one. No matter what you're going through, He says this, the God who called you, the God of all grace, who called you by grace, what's He going to do? He Himself will do this. It's His work that's going to happen here. So it's not us depending on ourselves to get through and persevere on our own. It's, um, it's, it's God who makes us persevere. And those four words are power words. I want to get into that word grace just for a moment. It's a word that we're all too familiar with. We talk about it all the time. And, and we, yeah, it's the name of the church here. Uh, but we can take it for granted. 
and 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 we should because that's what grace is. It's granted to us. But He gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. The God of all grace. You don't get grace from anything else. It's it all comes from there. This is who He is. He is grace, isn't He? Uh, John Newton. What did he write? Amazing Grace. Now, you remember the story. You know his background, right? He came from uh, a, being a drunken sailor. He used curse words that nobody else used. We might be in, in our society today, we might have some curse words that came from John Newton. I mean, this guy was, was a, a drunk, curse word, cruel man. And um, he, he knew that there wasn't anything in him. And of course, this is the most popular hymn that there is, and it's sung by millions of people who aren't even Christians. How many times have you heard people you knew, and they wouldn't even confess Christ, but they liked the song, or they recorded it on a record, right? And so, it, it, it's amazing, amazing grace. How sweet the sound saved a wretch like me. Of course, we know some of the liberal churches started taking some words out of hymns, and that was one of them, a wretch. <laughs> Anything that sounds bad, but this, this was true. But he knew his wretchedness, and he knew he was saved from that. And I think he said something like this, until we have discovered that God is the God of all grace, that's what Peter's talking about here, we never have understood God. Say that again. Until we have discovered that God is the God of all grace, we've never understood God. Yeah, Barb. I have a question about the hymn. Did he write just the words, or did he write the music? He wrote the words. Um, music. The way that we have it today is different than probably what was originally done. But we like that tune too, don't we? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You know, I, I've always liked that song because it has a nice melodic line and everything to it. But until I became Christian, you know, it sure does now, doesn't it? Sure does. Every word in there is just so precious, isn't it? I don't know if this is true or not, but I've heard that uh, the tune, which is on a pentatonic scale, which that's the tunes of Africa, the tunes of Africa are on a pentatonic scale. That it may have come actually from a slave. That, that it may have been a tune he heard as a slave captain or a captain of a slave ship. Uh, yeah. I don't know. If Fascinating. Could very well be. Listen to this guy back there. Pentatonic? <laughs> he, he did good, didn't he? I feel like just kind of going over there and sitting down. And I'm the guy knows music. Still taking those guitar lessons? No. Hey. Got some, got some guys here who could teach you. Think about Zacchaeus. You know how, how he was saved by grace there, right? Think about the story of the prodigal son. The father comes out to him. Oh, my. Um, and you know what? This grace here that it's talking about, the God of all grace, going with the context there. And of course, it goes into future grace. And of course, I like that term because that's a Piper wrote a book called Future Grace. But even more than just future grace here, this isn't talking about grace for eternity as much as it is God's already promised that. We know that. But this is the grace for the time. It's the time of your life right now. I mean, the grace that you have to, to get through. This is why we're alive. He, he makes us what we ought to be. It's all by His grace. God is not bound by time, but so grace covers it all eternally, but you think He gives it for, for right now and not just for the future. And person, a person could say, well, you know, I, I'm just... It, that's good for others, but I'm just not qualified. I'm just not spiritual enough. You know, I, I don't fit in that, right? And Peter, <laughs> if you remember who wrote this book, after he did his little three-year thing with Jesus, I'm sure before Jesus restored him, I'm sure he got to a point where he didn't think he was qualified anymore after he denied the Lord. But you know, 
uh, he certainly learned the grace of God. And we have seen that word several times in this book of 1 Peter. I think Peter knew exactly what it is to be saved by sovereign grace. He's used election. Uh, he's used that kind of ter- terminology. Um, he, he knows that it, it was all God. All God. Are you saying that um, if somebody goes through something and we're we're looking at them and from a human perspective and they don't look like they've made it through some trial or something and they're a Christian, then wherever they made it to in that trial, like I can't, they don't recover from some illness or something like that. Right. Then wherever they ended up with that, they had whatever amount of grace that God was uh, going to give them to make it as far as He wanted them to go. Mm-hmm. That That's right. He, he got them to the where He wanted. And, of course, eventually He gets them to the ultimate goal. Of course, when you have the resurrected body, that's that's the ultimate. Right. But yeah, it's all God's grace to for as far as they even get. And some crash and burn and fall. Some just like get so sick that, and they just die. But God, by His grace, gets them all the way to that point. And by His grace, He brings them all the way on in to you know the kingdom of God. We can look at them and think in our own way. Think so, you know. Get sure doesn't look right, like it, right, does it? Right. And we can look at our own selves and go, oh boy, that doesn't look so good. We, we look tattered here on, in this. We've been beaten, you know. We, we've had, I mean, you know, <laughs> beaten on. We've had a lot of attacks. But when it's all said and done, and you see where God takes us, of course, and we all are going to die. You know, it's a it's a guaranteed thing. One day, the latest thing the government has said is one on one. You know. For every person there is, they're going to die. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, that's good to know, isn't it? It's it, you know they are his. Believe me, he will get them. And and of course, we can be disobedient in it. It doesn't honor God. Uh, but when it's all said and done, he uh, he gets them to where he wants. Now that I love that being called to his eternal glory. Look back in first Peter one, verse fifteen. Oh, this is all upbeat today, folks. I'm telling you, it's upbeat as can be. But like the Holy One who called you, He called you. Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, You should be holy, for I am holy. When we when we have the hope on Him, we can be holy. It's all a work that He's doing in us. We can't drum it up on ourselves. And there you get the word grace in that verse 13. You notice hope completely on the grace. Hope completely on the grace. We live by that. We're called to His eternal glory. Um, chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. That you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Man, He's glad to have you. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has what? Called you out of darkness, out of death, into His marvelous light. You were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Man, this is all blessings, isn't it? This is praise. This is high praise that Peter is giving. Chapter 3, verse 9. What a blessing it is just to read this. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. You were called for this. A purpose. And look in Romans 8.30. That great chapter of Romans. What a jewel this is that just sticks out in one of the book of all books. Romans 8.30. What a verse. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called... He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. 
And it's like God is not bound by time as far as He's concerned. This is a done deal. This is all past tense. As far as we're concerned, though, this is stuff that is happening and is going to happen. But in God's eyes, you are... You, you you were called in time. We know that. But he goes on into the future. Justified. We've already been justified. Glorified. We, are, we know we're going to be glorified. What security we have. The God who called you to His eternal glory, as Peter says. Who called you to His eternal glory in Christ. That's what qualifies it. That's the reason we'll be glorified. In Christ. In Christ. Personally perfected by God. We have personal attacks by the enemy. And at the same time, God is perfecting us while we're being attacked, folks. I mean, my mind, I don't i don't know if it can really wrap around that. And when it's happening, it sure doesn't make sense. But even if it doesn't feel like it, it doesn't even make sense, we know this to be true and we go to the Scripture and say, that's right. This is a promise of God. I can't doubt it. This is a blessing of God's eternal presence with us. That's what eternal glory is. I don't care about the the mansion or the the house or uh, you know the, the the streets of gold. I do. I, that's going to be something else. But the presence of God and being with Him is really what it's all about. All the other stuff is just kind of <laughs> flows in with it, right? All these things will be added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And we find out Peter says we have an inheritance. Romans 8 says that we have the inheritance that is Christ's. Boy, that's that's immense. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I think is probably one of the greatest preachers back in the 20th century, a super gift to the church. All you guys, I think of Janice. She's been reading Martin Lloyd Jones for, I know, over 20 years. Yeah, and um, when when you think of him, you think of, of course, he preached sovereign grace and such. Um, he has a biography. If we get a chance to read it, I think it's two volumes, each of them, about that thick. Has a lot of Welsh names in it. If you can get past all that, but the day before he died, can you imagine that? the great saint Martin Lloyd-Jones dying. He had experienced a long time of suffering. He uh, had a difficult illness, really a battle of cancer. And the day before he died, he asked that his family uh, pay attention to this. He says, get this, don't pray for my healing. Don't hold me back from glory. (laughs) Don't pray for my healing. Don't hold me back from glory. Well, you know what? When he said that to him, he died that night. And that's the perspective Peter wants us to live in our lives. In your troubles, in your difficulties, no matter how bad they seem, in your pain, your stress, the battle, keep your eye on the glory. I see the glory. It's it's there. It's real. That's That's what we're shooting for. So anyway, that's I, that he calls us to eternal glory, folks, and we're living by grace right now, right? It's all grace. It's all grace. Well, that's part one. Part two here on your outlines. God displays His assuring power, the assurance of salvation. Yeah, Dwayne. You know, uh, going back to something you said, when you said that you didn't care about. No matter how wonderful, no matter how beautiful, or anything else, or how you know breathtaking heaven, the new heavens, the new earth could be, it would be just as empty as Solomon's mm-hmm. pursuit that was all in vain on this earth in Ecclesiastes. Without God, without His presence, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be a thing. That's good, Dwayne, because that's that's right. It's but, it, I mean, when you said yeah. that. I mean, that's very good. We have a our earth here is amazing. Creation is tremendous. It's tainted by sin. We know that. We we see in a mirror dimly today. You know, that's what this is compared to what glory's gonna be. But even in this dim world and sin stained and such, 
the beauty of this creation is just it's immense and, and all that you can see what, what God does and I, I, I think uh, all the videos that you give out to people I think that's really cool uh, you know God and all his wonders and such and w- when you think of that creation how precious that is in this world now but without God all that would just be nothing wouldn't it I mean people they, they like to have a beautiful day and the sunshine and such but if they don't know God uh, it's it's so temporal it really has no meaning to it, does it? So we can enjoy this earth and the beauties that we have. It's incredible. And we can, you know, what are our eyes going to be like? Even if we have 2020 here, what are they going to be like there? You know, and... and I'm sorry. I, just, I remember Arthur C. Clarke, the science fiction guy, you know, and all this stuff, and he was a brilliant man, and a brilliant man and all this stuff, but... And, and he had a neat series, obviously Clark's Mysterious World, where he looked at all these different, you know, baseless things like that. But but, uh, but yet when he got old, I saw, and he was on an interview, and he looked so dismal. And he said, I guess when you get old, as, as long as you can still enjoy music, I guess there's still some purpose in life. <laughs> That's it? So sad. He and his wife sat around and listened to classical music, and that was all they had. They didn't have anything. It's all they lived for. So sad. That's right. Well, we have four words here, and these four words show us what God's doing. And He will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, establish. Not going to spend a lot of time on it. The word for restore or perfect is ortho you've got that word in there and that you've heard of you've heard of that before haven't you just straighten out the bones right reset a bone put an order it's wholeness out of brokenness like a broken leg and restoring that uh, it's to bring us to wholeness uh, it was used of a uh, a, a broken ship um, as it was going to be taken back into the harbor to get fixed humpty dumpty Sat on a wall. You guys know it, right? Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Now I think there's another, there's a flip side to that. Some of these people who wrote these, the fables and those little nursery rhymes and such, I believe that the writer of Humpty Dumpty actually had another part. I don't remember for sure, but I believe he was a Christian. And of course, I think he had the answer of what the, this is this is about the fall. Man's fall and what happened to him. Nothing could bring him back but it's only Christ, right? So we're restored in that sense. He, he Jesus brings your brokenness to being restored. We bring it to him, don't we? We bring his our brokenness, everything, our loneliness, our failures, everything we bring them to him. And he's in the ortho business. Confirm. That uh, is a word strong. That goes back to your suffering. That doesn't feel good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it hurts. But if you don't do it, what's going to happen? Right? That's a good point, Kim. That's a real good point because, yeah, it does hurt. As he, that's what we are. We're broken people. We have to remember that. And what he's doing is he's making us whole. He's mending us. And maybe not so much physically, but it's the inner man that's what's happening here. Strong. The next word is um, confirm, to make you strong. Or it's like supports that are put around something to prevent it from toppling over. Um, huh? Yeah. Or it's like, um, it's like a little infant when they're first born. And you might put them on a couch. But you wouldn't leave them there on that couch unless you were right there, right? Or put some pillows around them. Remember that? Where they won't fall off or somehow you know, they could roll over and have a fall on the floor. When we start to topple, what he does is he takes care of our weakness, like that infant, so we see where our strength comes from. 
the next word, we're going through this pretty rapidly, strengthen or to, to be firm. It's associated with the opposite sense of something that collapses and then you, somebody comes along and strengthens that back up, builds it back up. All these words are related. They're very close. Um, in Hebrews 12, he talks about strengthening the weak knees. You remember that? Verse 12, Therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. And make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. That's talking about people in the body of Christ. Strengthen them. And uh, people are weak. They need need that. Of course, Christ is the one that does it. Hey, what's Isaiah 40.31? Somebody has that memorized. I just know it. It's the one that uh, all the Christian bookstores have with the eagle. Isaiah 40.31. Yeah, you got it. Keep going. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Because He gives them the strength, doesn't He? He gives them everything they need to do that. Are you waiting for the Lord, right? Waiting for the Lord. Waiting anxiously. He's always there. That means to set you fast, to, to be firm, that kind of thing. Then the next word is establish you. And it's related to the other ones too. This one's dealing with a foundation, uh, a grounding. He grounded us so we won't blow away. <laughs> Just be swept away. Uh, or the house on the rock. Or is the house on the sand when you think of Matthew 7, right? See, because if he doesn't do that, we'll surely build on sand. We know we will. That's right. Every man does. That's what man does. But he is building us on the rock. And, of course, I think of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree, what? Firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit and its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. A firmly planted tree, deep rooted foundation a great base to lay you a foundation that's what he's doing with us in all this stuff that we're doing the roots are going deeper and Christ as we're in Christ God himself is perfecting us confirming us strengthening us making us solid as a foundation that's what he's doing and it's by the Word of God. Line upon line, precept upon precept. The Word of God, over time, just keeps making you stronger and stronger. And Sundays and Wednesdays are just phase one. That That's not enough. We're talking all through the week. We need to be absorbed. The Word of God should just be taking us you know, we should be biblene, having the blood. You know, that's what's inside us, right? That's what success is, isn't it? That's he shows. That's exactly right. The Word of God, and it. I think everyone here would attest to that, right? And it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. It keeps happening. Well, that next verse. Boy, it seems like a good place to stop First Peter. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen! And the crescendo is building up and building up. And boom, He comes off with that. It's like, uh, it's like Romans 8. <laughs> or it's uh, at the end of Romans 11, actually, where you have that great doxology. Here's a doxology here. And the word there for dominion 
is kratos in the Greek, or it means a superior strength. One thing to have strength, or great strength, but this is the superior strength. It means to dominate. When uh, when you have a professional uh, sports team, and they just blow everybody away, they dominate them. All right, they dominate. They're in total control over everything. Well, this is a God who absolutely dominates. And so when He makes all these promises, He'll make sure that they're successful through the jungles that we're walking through and He brings us right into glory and it says He will do it. And to Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, I think as Peter writes this, he wants God to be glorified. It's building up all the way through this this epistle and showing what he's doing. And he knows that dominion belongs to the Lord and nobody else. I think he is absolutely overwhelmed as he wrote this. And this introduces us right into the next part. Um, I think really for all of us, uh, it's all about praise. Dominion forever and ever. Give Him all the praise. Give Him all the glory, right? Always being filled with praise and everything being filled with glory that is to be given to God in in every aspect. He has the power. He has the authority. He has the sovereignty. How high of a view can we have of God? (laughs) Keep pushing it up. Uh, I don't have enough words to be able to put it forth. But He's worthy of all our praise. And uh, that's a worshiping heart. Peter's worshiping here as he's as he wrote this book, as he wrote this letter for us, what worship it is. And then we come to the third part. And you kind of hate to leave right there, you know. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. That would be a good way to close the Bible study right there. And Peter said, oh, P.S. Postscript. <laughs> and this is good too because it's God's Word. Um and I, I have part three dealing with God's peace because that's how the last verse ends there. Uh, we've been seeing His what His power and His glory and His grace just in these few short verses. Just a few short verses just to close out a book. A few verses, my, 10 through 14. Or was it five verses? And yet, how deep it is. How deep it is. I think... Uh, He's probably writing through a secretary. He says, Through Sylvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love, and peace be to you all who are in Christ. (laughs) Well, we um, have been taken up to another level, I think, by Peter, just on those uh, couple of verses that we just read about the, the... God of all grace and the eternal glory and then Him doing what He's doing in us and then His dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then you get a, a part dealing now. He brings it back to maybe uh, attitudes again. And this would be dealing with an attitude of faithfulness. He says, Sylvanus, our faithful brother. Uh, most commentators that I've been reading actually would uh, don't hesitate to say this is very much they think that it's Silas. Uh, might have been a lot of guys running around. It, you know, doesn't matter that much, but at the same time, he's faithful. But he's probably written much of this. Like Paul had somebody write for him as he dictated it. And by the way, we're not getting dictation from God, you know, uh, these writers. But because uh, he used their personality, but he uses his inspiration and somehow mysteriously we get the Word of God. It's the very Word of Him, but yet He uses the personality of different writers, this being Peter. And uh, He brings out a personality here of Silas, who is very faithful. And um, Silas, if this be Silas that we know of, that's found in the book of Acts, um, Acts 15, 32, 
this was um, this is Paul they had been at the Jerusalem council the first church council in verse 30 it says so when they went, uh, were sent away they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together they delivered the letter when they had read it they rejoiced because of its encouragement Judas and Silas also being prophets themselves encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message wonder how long that was I bet you there might have been a guy who might have even fallen out of the window there too. You never know. Remember Eutychus, right? A lengthy message. Hey, I like that. But they encouraged him. They strengthened him. Silas, um, Paul and Barnabas were first teamed together. We had the issue over Mark, who was associated with Peter, who was also associated with the uh, encourager Barnabas. And so we know that Peter, you know, know the story. He had his outs there with uh, Mark, who took off. And uh, of course, when we see it after it's all said and done, we see that uh, he was in uh, good company. And so that that uh, story changed. But Silas is the one that came after Barnabas, and Paul traveled with him. Uh, another one is found in Acts sixteen thirty-seven, next chapter. And Paul said to them, They have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans and have thrown us into prison, and now they are sending us away secretly. Uh, Oh, where is it at? The next chapter. Where did I... What did I do? Is it 17.4? Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as they've been teaching the Word. There we go, thanks. Along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks. There's more in verse 10 too, I guess. Yeah, so he's mentioned there. Uh, Yeah, they went to Berea. Paul and Silas then went to Berea. So Silas had uh, quite a a journey with Paul, didn't he? Quite a ministry going there. They preached Christ there. That was at Thessalonica and different places in the Berea. Anyway, that's a. What's that? Oh yeah, Timothy's all over the place, isn't he? And some of the, all those guys are real faithful because they they help Paul out and doing whatever needs to be done. Paul didn't do this by himself. He always had guys around him. He wasn't alone out there by himself. But um, Silas might have been the one that wrote this down, pen wise, I guess. The one who took. Uh, the letter to these folks. Peter tells him to take it out there. He's a faithful brother. And so he, he brings that out. So uh, I highly respect him. That's kind of what he's saying there. Um, and then you'll notice, I have written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. He's got to get in one last punch. Well, once you start understanding grace, you understand God, His control, His sovereignty, His beauty. Peter's been saying, I've been telling you about God's grace, His saving grace, His sanctifying grace, His grace that goes through trials, His grace that goes through sufferings, and I want you to stand firm in this grace. Be faithful to it. Now, Silas was uh, faithful. And so that's kind of what he's saying there. As he, as you look at Silas or Sylvanus here, uh, you you stand in that grace. And that reminds me of Romans chapter five, verse two. I love this. Verse one's good. Therefore, have been justified. Get that word in there by faith. Cry of the Reformation, right? We have peace with God with God's peace because of our relationship with Him. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, there's a qualifier, through whom also we have obtained our introduction, our access, by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand in it. It is hip high. It's it's chest high. It's it's neck high. It's head high. It, you know, we stand in it. It can just cover me, right? 
You just don't have just a little bitty grace where you're standing in a little bitty puddle and you get your, your foot wet a little bit. We're talking about standing in this grace. That's what we live on. We live in, right? Standing firm in His grace. So Peter had to mention that one more time. The true grace of God. And then we see the affection that um, he has, that other people have. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings. Nothing really worth uh, arguing over here. There's a lot of different thoughts on this. the Pipers, the Begs, and some of the guys that I read, they all were in agreement that uh, she who is in Babylon probably refers to a church in Rome. And they used the name Babylon to kind of hide that name because remember there's persecution going on. And in Rome it's got to be even worse, right? So um, if that letter got out and got to the wrong people, it so he's not mentioning Rome, he uses Babylon. Some people say, well, that's literally Babylon, and that's that's okay too. It's uh, It could be very much a cryptic name for Rome. You get, you get that um, in Revelation, I think chapter 17, 18, uh, where Rome is actually called Babylon in that sense. Or it's, a, it's a system. Um, when uh, That's when John was banished to Patmos. Uh, he possibly was calling that too. Um, we know that Peter, by tradition, was crucified upside down there in Rome. But uh, as the story goes. So, in short, Peter wrote this epistle near the end of his life when you know he's probably staying in this great imperial city. And he didn't want the letter to be found and didn't want the church to be persecuted even more for it because of it. So maybe he kind of hid it under that name, Babylon. To your church, that church, to your church. It's from me to you. It's Mark to you. So does my son Mark. We happen to be doing the Gospel of Mark on Sundays, right? And of course, Peter is considered to be the father of him in a sense, spiritually. My son Mark because Mark tagged along with people. He knew him well. As a matter of fact, Mark got a lot of his information from, guess who? Peter. We don't have the Gospel of Peter, do we? There's probably a Gospel of Peter that is in the uh, Pseudepigrapha. <laughs> but we have, we have this great epistle here from uh, Peter. And, uh, of course, another one. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then he says, uh, greet one another with a kiss of love. Uh, just just kiss everybody, will you? Of course, this, at that time, that was a traditional thing. That's what they did. And then later on in church, uh, very early church history, men kissed the men on the cheek and we'd kind of grab them you know, by the shoulders and you know, give them a kiss there. And, um, you know, it was men kissing men, women, women. Uh, if you did that today, that would really send uh, wrong signals. So probably we feel better with doing something like this. <laughs> That's where I feel more comfortable. Yeah. Well, but they sometimes probably, they probably still do that over okay. over.